As we interact with God's Word this morning, <clears throat> keep in mind interacting with God's Word is more than a one-way street. I can share something I may have studied, I may have prepared. We need to be willing to listen, but go far beyond listening. We need to be willing to seek to act on it and apply it. Travis sang about the forgiveness that we have through Christ. In Galatians 3, we read about Christ, that we can be sons of God and so on because of Christ. And then we want to look at a portion of scripture from Mark chapter 2 in a few moments and find that Christ is the one who forgives sin. And then after the message, we'll sing some about Christ. Let's take a moment in silence and you share with the Lord your desire to be responsive as we interact with scripture this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we want to be doers of your word, not hearers only. May we come to know Christ in a little deeper manner this morning, for it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. A thought question. In our pluralistic world, which claims all religions lead to God, why would we claim that Jesus Christ is the only way to a relationship with God or eternal life? Another question, how is Christianity, how is Christ different or how do they stand in distinction to Hinduism, to Catholicism, to Buddhism? Take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 2, reading together verses 1 through 12. In chapter 1, we have found who Christ is. No, he is the gospel. He is the son of God. He's the one who teaches with authority. He's the one who can give orders to demons. He healed a leper. We find that Christ continues to be revealed in chapter 2. When we get to the end of verse 12, when it mentions that everyone was amazed, we have seen, or we have never seen anything like this. As we did last week, I would ask the congregation to read that. You know, you be those who saw and are responding. Mark chapter 2 and verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, or get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves. Why 
Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, Last week we began to discuss this portion of scripture. We found that Jesus, again, is back in Capernaum. And he is in the home. We don't know whose house or whose home he is in. Possibly Peter's. The text doesn't say. And he is teaching them. You know, there's a crowd around him. And it clearly says he preached the word to them. He would be explaining something about himself. And while he is preaching, they bring a paralyzed man to him. But they can't get in. So they tear through the roof. And remember, we mentioned that a roof... It's about two feet thick, and they would have had to remove the soil, the dirt that was there. They would have removed the branches and so on that was there, and then lower the man down through between two of the beams that ran. Anyway, they lower the man in front of Jesus. And apparently these guys had faith. You know, that Jesus could do something. After all, he'd been healing all types of people. He had drove out some demons. He had healed a leper, and he healed other people with diseases. So the natural response is Jesus can also heal this paralyzed man. Notice in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, that is a faith that dug through a roof, lowered the man, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. They were expecting a healing. And Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven. And when he says your sins are forgiven, sins basically would mean to miss the very point of life, which is to know God and the beauty of walking with him 24-7. Son, your sins, your sins are forgiven. Forgiveness is to send away. to dismiss, to allow to depart. And Jesus is saying to this man, your sins are forgiven. They're sent away. They departed. But he's not healed. He's still lying there in a mat. He's still paralyzed. There seems to be a belief system that was present then, and I think sometimes even today, 
that when someone was sick, it tied in with some sin that the person committed. It was common that the Jews believed that sin was caused. I'm sorry, I got that backward. That sin, yeah, was the cause of some illness. Someone sins, so there's an illness. So this guy's paralyzed. Why? What are his sins? And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. If you were to look in Job, you will find in Job chapter 4 and verse 7, as Job is suffering, he has, you know, boils over his body. He has lost his children. He has lost all his wealth. His wife has said, curse God and die. And his three friends come and spend a week with him. And then they start giving him counsel. And the first friend basically says, Job, the reason you have the problems that you do is because you have sinned. The problems you're going through, the physical trials you're going through, your loss of your children, your loss of your cattle and so on is because of sin. Job 4 and verse 7, Consider now who being innocent has ever perished. Where were the upright, or when were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. They're saying, Job, you're reaping your sin. In John chapter 9, we find that there's a man who was born blind. And they say to Jesus, was this man born blind because of his sin? Or because of his parents' sin? And Jesus says, neither. In James chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, we find there that James says, you know, confess your sins to one another so that you might pray and you might be healed. So the mindset that is taking place in this passage was, you know, this guy is suffering. He's paralyzed because of sin. And then Jesus blows their mind by saying, son, your sins are forgiven. But in Jesus saying that, please understand that the forgiveness of sin was exclusively God's prerogative. Only God can forgive sin. Exodus chapter 34, that's clearly stated. Psalm 103 and verse 3, it's clearly stated. Isaiah 43 and verse 25. And Micah chapter 7 and verse 8. Only God can forgive sin. And here we have a man, Jesus, forgiving sin. What's going through the minds of the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, those that should have recognized who Jesus was? They have a question in their minds. Why does this fellow talk like that? Why does this Jesus talk like that? Son, your sins are forgiven. Who does he think he is? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They were right. Only God can forgive sins. So what's their conclusion? Jesus is blaspheming. 
What's blaspheming? It's a malicious false statement, tending to defame. This guy's making a false statement. He's claiming to be God. He can forgive sin. They were accusing him in their minds of being slanderous, of railing against God, of being a reproach to God. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. And in their minds, they had a valid question, who can forgive sins? But God alone. See, in the context of blaspheming, if you look in Leviticus chapter 24, the blasphemer was to be stoned. Here's the Son of God, the one who has healed, the one who has healed the leper, who has healed other diseases, who had taught with authority, who cast out demons, is setting himself up to be stoned. If the Mosaic law is followed in the eyes, in the minds of those who were the religious leaders. Verse 8 says immediately, the response of Jesus is not delayed. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts. He recognized these people were thinking, now why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God? He recognized that, so what does he do? He responds. Why are you thinking these things? Hey guys, teachers of the law, why are you thinking, why am I doing this? Why are you thinking, I'm blaspheming? Why are you thinking that only God alone can forgive sins? Next question, which is easier to say to the paralytic? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? No, he's challenging them to think, you know, step back, you've got to ponder. Which is easier? Your sins are forgiven, or get up, take your mat and walk? Both of them are somewhat difficult. We can't forgive sins. Only God can. Nor can we command a paralyzed person to take their mat and get up and walk. But he goes on. But that you may know the Son of God has authority, has rule, has jurisdiction on earth to forgive sins... He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He'd already forgiven the sins. He'd already sent the sins away. The religious leaders, 
teachers of the law are struggling, you know, with who's this guy think he is? And he says, so that you may know I have authority. I have power, I have dominion, I rule, I have jurisdiction to forgive sins. He tells the man to get up and walk. I don't know if any of you have ever been in bed for several years. Lying flat. And then he immediately try to get up and just sit up or have someone stand you up. And that creates some problems. Today we go through all kinds of therapy. Someone has an issue, you know, they're physically sick. Sick, they go through all kinds of therapy. You can remember Dan Rader and what he went through. Spent a lot of time going through therapy at John Hines. Well, here's a guy who is paralyzed. And what, does, what happens? He get up, took his mat, and walks out. No therapy. No nothing. He does it. Jesus, healing the man, demonstrates that he is God. He has the power to forgive sins. Teachers of the law, I want you to know that I am God. I have the power to forgive sins. And to demonstrate that, I'm going to tell this paralyzed man to get up, take his mat, and walk home. And the guy gets up, walks out in full view of them. This amazed everyone. Remember, the word amazed is used in chapter 1, 22, and chapter 1 in verse 27. And the word amazed means to strike out of your wits, to be panic-stricken, to be shocked, thunderstruck. Wow! You see, that guy just walked out. He's healed. Never had any therapy. It was instantaneous. Maybe in a little easier note, I say to Devota, Devota, stand up and run out. You probably would go, wow, if she did. She won't since I'm not God or Christ. They're amazed. And they praise God. We have never seen Anything like this. Remember, Jesus is one of a kind. This has never happened before in history. Who else came on the scene and said, I'm going to forgive sin, and then turn around and command a man who is paralyzed to get up, to take his mat, and to go home? What's the point of Mark? Chapter 2, 1 through 12. I think it is to continue to display. To continue to display that Jesus and his authority, or display Jesus' authority through forgiving sins. Thus confirming that he is 
who Mark claims he is in chapter 1. See, there's something new being added to Jesus and who he is. He's not only the Son of God. He's not only able to heal. He's not only able to cast out demons. He's not only able to preach. He is also the one who can forgive sins. And he demonstrates he can forgive sins by healing the paralyzed man. Now, as we think about this portion of Scripture, some applications. When we communicate concerning Christ, the focus and structure of Mark would indicate we should clearly and effectively state who Jesus is in his character and being before we talk about his death and resurrection. Mark goes to great length to communicate the being of Jesus. Colossians 1 speaks of Christ's being as creator in the context of reconciliation through Christ. I want to emphasize that the Gospels always talk about Christ and who he is before they talk about what he did. The crucifixion, his death, his resurrection. Because what he did is dependent upon who he is. Who else can say, son, your sins are forgiven? Only Jesus can. It's being revealed who he is. Failure to communicate Christ's being results in leading people to be connected to what Jesus Christ does or did for them, rather than being related to him as a person. They use Jesus rather than experience him. If we talk about what Christ can do, and we neglect his being, we end up using him for what he'll do, rather than for who he is as a person. I have a challenge for you. Ask believers, professing believers in our valley, the following question. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Many will begin with, he died and he arose. Few will begin with, The gospel is about Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who demonstrated he was the Son of God by healing, by casting out demons, by forgiving sins. And because of who he is, then he could go to the cross and make payment for sin, and he could come from the dead to die no more. In light of what we have communicating Christ, not only what he did, but also who he is. I think there's some results when we don't communicate that well. Professing believers who claim heaven is their home or their future, but little change in their being, words, or actions. 
if I am related to the living Christ, who is my life, that's not merely future, that's now. Makes a difference in how I live and respond day by day. But if I think Christ is only future, he doesn't make a big difference in how I live. Professing believers who must be challenged and exhorted to share the good news of Jesus Christ because they're not experiencing Christ. See, if I'm experiencing the living Christ and I'm re- talking to a non-believer, I have something to share. Well, I'm going to have, go to heaven when I die. Well, that might be true. But I have something to tell you about yesterday. Here's what Christ did in my life yesterday. Here's how he worked. Here's how I related to him. It can also result in pastors presenting a gospel which focuses on his action while neglecting his being. Don't only talk about what Christ has done. Who is he? A combination of both. And there will be some other responses. I'll skip through a couple and go to the next point. Note what is taught or presented about Jesus that is new in this passage. Remember, up to this point, we have found that Jesus is already unique. He's the Son of God. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He has a Father who is pleased with him. He's yielded to God's Spirit. He resisted Satan. He's intimately related to the kingdom of God. He taught with authority. He commanded an evil spirit to come out of a man. He healed of various diseases. He healed a demon-possessed man. He healed a man with leprosy. And we could stop there and say, you know, this guy is really great. But he's also able to forgive sins. You know, something that is unique to every human that we know we battle with sin. If I ask you or someone else asks you, would you tell me about your sins? You probably could come up with one or two. And if you can't come up with more than one or two, we'll ask your mate. And if that's not enough, we'll ask your children. And if that's not enough, we'll ask your parents. No, we can come up with sins. My mom, this is after dad passed away, and the four of uh, my three brothers and I, I don't include my sister because you know, she wasn't quite as evil as we were in some ways maybe. We would say, Mom, do you know that we did this when we were kids? Oh, I never knew that. Do you know that we did this? No, never knew you did that. You know, things that we did that she never knew. Some of them mom and dad found out about, like the time my brother broke the window in the barn to get in because three of his brothers locked him out. He cut himself pretty bad. Now, that's being cruel. That's a sin on my part. When I don't talk to Ruth Ann and, you know, share my inner self to develop that intimacy that God desires as we're discussing in Sunday school. That's sin. 
There's a new dimension being added to Jesus here. He is able to forgive sin. He's able to dismiss them. He's able to send them away. That is good news. So you're talking to someone, a believer or unbeliever, but let's say unbeliever at this point in time, and the whole issue of the world being messed up comes up, and after a while the conversation comes around a little closer to home, and you get discussing their sins. You can say, Jesus can forgive your sins. Many of us sitting here battle with sins. If nothing else, they come to our mind. Jesus offers, provides for forgiveness of sin. That's a new dimension being added to Christ being revealed in the Gospel of Mark. Also, we find that he knew what the teachers of the law are thinking. Before church this morning, I walked up to Mike and I was going to say, Mike. And I was going to tell him something. He said, Pastor, I already know what you're going to tell me. He said, you're going to tell me that, make sure I get this right. After Travis sings, I'm to come up and read scripture without any comment. I said, how'd you know I was thinking that? Here's Jesus knowing what they're thinking. We also find that he healed a paralytic to show that he had authority to forgive sins. He healed a paralytic to show that he had authority to forgive sins. Whatever your past is, In Christ, forgiveness is available. How does Christianity stand in distinction to Hinduism? Hinduism basically is a very hard religion to understand. I did a paper on it one time in school. And I get done with the paper and I said to the prof, I just can't put my hand around, or my mind around Hinduism, he said, that's just the way it is. You can't seem to get a handle on it. But basically, it's a religion of do, and there's no hope. How does Christ stand in distinction to that? Christ is God's Son who has authority over disease and demons, forgives sins. It's done. To say to someone who follows Hinduism, we offer you Jesus, we're presenting Jesus, the Son of God. He'll forgive sin. It's done. That's good news. Catholicism is basically a system, as is some Christianity. Went the wrong way there. Of do and no hope. Hope that we can do enough to deal with our sins. The message is God's Son 
who has authority over disease and demons, forgives sins. It's done. I remember talking to a man a number of years ago. We were talking about sin, and he was talking about all he was doing and what he believed. And he was sharing that he was trying to do enough to make sure he wouldn't make it. And he was basing it, came out of a Catholicism mindset. And I said to him, Jesus has done it. It's done. It's done. There's forgiveness in Jesus. And he says, it can't be that simple. Oh, it's not that it's simple. It was very costly. The Son of God died. But it's by faith in what another has done. He came to the point some years later where he trusted Christ. How is Christianity, Christ, different than Buddhism? Buddhism is a system of doing, no hope. Christianity, Christ says, I'm God's son. I have authority over diseases and demons. I forgive sins. It's done. Rely on what I have done. I don't know exactly how you may think. But if you see nothing else in Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12, see the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who can forgive sins. And he demonstrated he could do it by healing the paralytic. That's good news. And if you're a believer... Why do we carry around our sins and beat ourselves because of our sins when in Christ we have forgiveness? And if you're an unbeliever, Christ offers forgiveness of sin. If you're not a believer in Christ, will you trust him today? As we sing some songs, Together, reflect on Christ and who he is. Travis?